When I was growing up, I remember my mom telling me about, or maybe it was in school hearing about, the golden rule. Does anyone out there remember the golden rule? If you do, I want you to just go ahead and say it out loud. Actually, Nick, are you there? Yeah, I'm here. Oh, perfect. perfect. Why, why don't you say it too? Okay, we'll all sure. say it. I, all right? All right, here we go. All right. So the golden rule is treat Sir, other you have people the way you want them to be treated. Wait, yeah. What? Wait. Yeah, what? I said the, treat other people the way you want to be treated. Yeah, that's what I said. What? But who was that other guy, though? I'm Barney Stinson. Working together is going to be legend. Wait for it. Oh, yeah. Sorry, Barney. You got to get out of here. <laughs> okay. Okay. So, uh, so just to be clarify here, the golden rule is treat other people the way you want to be treated. Or some of you might know it from Matthew or Luke in the Bible. Do to others what you want them to do to you. Or from Muhammad in Islam, who said, Seek for mankind that of which you are desirous for yourself. And then, of course, there was Jafar. You've heard of the golden rule, haven't you? Whoever has the gold makes the rules. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, maybe not that last one. But as you can hear, this rule exists in many forms and places. So for clarity, I thought maybe we'd check with someone, or maybe it's something, that we haven't heard from in a while. Good friend of the show, that know-it-all, Wikipedia. The golden rule is a principle of treating others as one would wish to be treated. It is a maxim of altruism seen in many human religions and human cultures. Well, there you go. I mean, that seems to validate what we just spoke about. But then Wikipedia goes on. It can also be explained from the perspectives of psychology, philosophy, sociology, human evolution, and economics. Psychologically, it involves a person empathizing with others. Now, here's where I would dare challenge Wikipedia. I know, I know, but but hear me out. Empathizing with others. By definition, to empathize is to understand the feelings of another, to put yourself into the shoes of another, not to assume that they are wearing your shoes. Filling dad's shoes, literally. Except their shoes don't fit. But I did finally get into dad's pants, although I had to have the crotch taken a little bit. See, where the golden rule falters, like big time, is that everyone is not like you. Are you in a romantic relationship right now? Or on a business team? Do you have a family? Close friend group? Are they all just like you? No, of course not. I'm sure you don't all want the same things. And I'm sure you react differently to various situations. You are all unique in the ways that you act and react in the world. Let's say you all agree that you want to feel respected supported, loved, empowered, appreciated. If you asked your partner or everyone on your work team or your family or friends, how do you want to be respected? How do you feel supported? How do you feel loved? How can I best empower you? Would everyone's answers be the same? Would their answers be the same as yours? Highly doubtful. I bet you would get significantly different answers. See, the golden rule sounds nice, but from an effectiveness standpoint, it's a total crapshoot. I mean, sure, there's the rare chance that the person you are treating is just like you. 
But in most cases, they are not. And even if there are a few times where they are just like you, do you really want your ability to respect, love, empower, appreciate, and influence others to be a matter of chance? Or would you rather it be a matter of understanding? So somewhere along the way, people noticed this significant flaw in the golden rule. And they came up with an upgrade. The platinum rule. The platinum rule. Now, I don't care what metal you apply to it. To me, platinum is just as arbitrary as aluminum or aluminum or adamantium. The metal is an alloy called adamantium, supposedly indestructible. What does matter to me is a significant shift in focus of the so-called platinum rule. Rather than treat other people the way you want to be treated, the platinum rule says treat other people the way they want to be treated. Or as Matthew or Luke might say, do to others what they want you to do to them. Or Muhammad paraphrased, seek for mankind that of which they desire for themselves. I often say that the unifying thread through much of what we talk about here on Where There's Smoke is self-awareness. Because so often, the key to executing effectively in your life, in any area, is being present and aware when you do. But I realize it's deeper than just awareness. It is understanding. It's almost like I said way back in our No Fear episode. To put it another way, a definition is like a phone number, and the meaning is why you would call in the first place. Now in this show, awareness is the phone number, but understanding is not just knowing why you are calling. It is also the implications of that call, the history between the callers, and how each of you operate. Through understanding, we are better able to see others more fully and then treat them as they want to be treated. But this need for understanding, it is not just about others. It actually starts a little closer to home. And unless you start there, well, you may not get anywhere. Dairy! Legendary! Yeah, whatever, Barney. That is still not going to make up for that last season of How I Met Your Mother. Welcome to Where There's Smoke, the show where we explore self-development through the lens of current events, pop culture, and experience. This week, we are exploring the power of understanding. Joining us is author, speaker, and fellow podcaster, Gretchen Rubin. Plus, we got Diggs and the Explorer of the Week. My name is Brett Guida. And the other dude is Nick Jaworski. Let's start the show. There are all kinds of personality and behavior models out there. DISC, Myers-Briggs, Insights, The Big Five, The Five Love Languages, and BuzzFeed's What Pizza Are You, just to name a few. And for the record, I am a meat pizza. Oh, I'm a Hawaiian pizza. Ugh, gross. What? what? Hey. Yeah, pineapple on pizza is like an abomination. Okay, how about a little respect? Okay, you may not know this, but Canadian restaurateur Sam Panopoulos invented the Hawaiian pizza, and he passed away this past year, Nick. 
Your your knowledge of this is classic Hawaiian pizza, I gotta say, Brett. <laughs> All right, well, look, anyways, I am gonna suggest that each personality model sets out to accomplish a very similar goal, to help each of us better understand ourselves and each other such that we can more successfully accomplish what we want to accomplish, be that in relationships, in our career, in communications, in parenting, in leadership, in sales, or any other application. And for many people, myself included, when you first experience this concept, it can blow your mind and alter your perspectives forever. I'll never forget July 2001 was the first time I took a course on personality styles. And it was like a two by four to the head. I literally remember thinking, whoa, so everyone's not like me? I mean, I was a grown adult and it felt like I was realizing that for the first time. Now, to be more specific, of course, we know this intellectually. You know, we know it as a fact. Yes, we are all different. But look at your actions. At that time, I was building a company, so sales was front and center in my life. And I realized that I was selling people the way I wanted to be sold. I was giving them the kind of information I needed and presenting to them in a way that I wanted to be presented to. I truly wasn't even considering that they might prefer a different approach. I was treating them as if they were me. Even though, of course, I knew that they were different. For people who have never seen this in their behavior, it is a huge light bulb turning on, a huge perspective shift. Extra, extra, everyone else is not like you, and you are not like everyone else. Again, we know this intellectually, but look at your actions. How do you love other people? How do you support other people? How do you advise other people, try to influence them, manage them, parent them, etc.? A lot of us are living by a golden rule mentality. Now, while this likely makes sense to you, it is often only when we get into the specifics of a model and really start applying it to real life situations that more impactful ahas start to happen. Or in my case, two by fours start to hit. So let's do that. And as timing would have it, Gretchen Rubin just released a book taking a deeper dive into her personality framework, The Four Tendencies. And we'll get into that right after this short break. Wait, Brett, didn't didn't we just start the show? <laughs> well, yeah, we did technically, Nick. It was a little bit of a of a long cold open, but but don't worry, we got lots to get to after the break, and we got something really important during the break. Oh, okay. All right. That's cool. Sorry, I'll, I'll see myself out. <laughs> it's time for another installment of the Where There's Smoke Explorer of the Week. This week we honor Marvin. Marvin is a listener from Mannheim, Germany, who liked our season four premiere on Onlyness. He tweeted, damn, that new episode is amazing. Goosebumps. Brett reached out to him and found out that Marvin discovered the show all the way back in 2015. It was kind of co- coincidence um, because I'm, I, I use a podcast app um, on my phone. It, it's called Pocket Casts. 
Um, it's a pretty cool app, and um, you were featured at the, at the trending podcasts. Turns out that not only did Marvin tweet about where they smoke a couple of times, but he also took the time to review the show on Apple Podcasts after being a listener for two years. On top of all that, he even listened to our spinoff podcast, How Do We Do This? We just needed to know more about this exceptional explorer. At this time, I also just wrote my bachelor thesis uh, for my um, bachelor in business informatics. And um, it was pretty awesome because working and writing and studying, it's kind of a time span or it's kind of a situation where you easily can get burned out. And at this podcast was just a miracle for me. He even has a favorite part of every episode. For me, it, it, it's actually the start of the episode. So we have this little intro and then um, the, the, the weather smoke theme comes in and you introduce yourself and and say, let's start the show and there's a little break. And this break is so awesome for me. I, I just don't know why, but when the episode starts, it's just I'm, I'm in the tunnel, I'm in this weather smoke world and I just enjoy listening. What's next for Marvin? I'm doing a course right now at my university. It's called Introduction to Entrepreneurship. So I'm really passionate about all this startup things, startup worlds. I'm, I have a few ideas in my mind, um, but actually I, I didn't start them. Maybe I'm just looking for the right teammates. I'm looking for the right moment. And maybe something has, has to push me a bit. Perhaps one of our other explorers is exactly who Marvin is looking for. Please let us know if you end up denting the world together. So thank you, Marvin, for spreading the word about Where There's Smoke and reviewing the show on Apple Podcasts and for being our Explorer of the Week. Do you want to be a future Explorer of the Week? Then feel free to contact us on Twitter or Facebook and let us know what you like about the show and how you're sharing it with others. Also, reviews on Apple Podcasts still make a world of difference. So be like Marvin and go review us now. What are you waiting for? So thanks again, Marvin, and thank you, dear listener, for spreading the word. This is Old Timey Nick. Signing off. As I said before the break, a lot of us are living by a golden rule mentality. So let's explore how we can better understand ourselves and others by doing a deeper dive into our personalities through one of these models, specifically Gretchen Rubin's The Four Tendencies. Hi, I'm Gretchen Rubin. I'm a writer who studies happiness, good habits, and human nature and the four tendencies, which is a personality framework that I created. Um, I've written many best-selling books, um, and I also have a podcast that I love to do called Happier with Gretchen Rubin, where I talk about how to be happier with my sister and co-host, Elizabeth Kraft, who's a TV writer living in L.A. Gretchen's journey to exploring and ultimately creating the Four Tendencies framework started with one single straightforward question. How do you respond to expectations? As Gretchen writes in the Four Tendencies book, no single system can capture human nature in all its depth and variety. And Gretchen is not trying to do that here. And that's why it's so great. She has narrowed it to just one specific and powerful question that impacts so much of our behavior and results. Now, before I get more into my conversation with Gretchen, let's quickly outline her four tendencies framework. We all face two kinds of expectations through our lives. Outer, those placed on us by others, and inner, 
those we place on ourselves. And depending on a person's response to outer and inner expectations, that person falls into one of four distinct types. Upholders. Upholders respond readily to both outer and inner expectations. Yes, 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 yes! Questioners. Questioners question all expectations. They will meet an expectation only if they believe it's justified. So they tend to resist outer expectations and meet inner ones. What? Wait, why? Obligers. Obligers respond readily to outer expectations, but struggle to meet inner expectations. Me? No. <laughs> and they'll say, yes, to you. And rebels. Rebels resist all expectations, outer and inner alike. No, absolutely not, no. The four tendencies explain why we act and why we don't act. They first appeared as just one of 21 strategies on how to break habits in Gretchen's 2015 book, Better Than Before. And after its publication, Gretchen found that the four tendencies were the part of the book that people seemed to most resonate with. I asked her why she thought that was. Because I think for a lot of people, it was like a giant light bulb. I think it explained patterns in their life that they couldn't understand. So obligers feel like they can always meet everybody else's expectations, but they can't meet their expectations for themselves. And this is super puzzling to them. Like They're like, why is it that I never miss a work deadline, but I, but I can't like get back into practicing meditation? Or why was it that I went to that one exercise class for five years and now I can't go? Like they don't understand, they can't make sense of the pattern of their own behavior. Or like rebels will say to me in despair, like, I can't, everybody says to make a to-do list. Everybody says to have an accountability partner. Everybody says to sign up to take a class. And I, it's just, it's making me crazy. I can't do it. What's wrong with me? I'm like, no, 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 no. These are totally understandable. These are broad patterns. There are many people exactly like you. It's easy to fix it once we understand what's really going on. And so I think what really caught people's attention was this idea of like, oh, now I get it. Like, there's a word for this. Like, I'm part of a whole team of people who feel just the way I do. So I think it was kind of that relief of recognition. And once you start to recognize these broad patterns, you see them not just in yourself, but also in others. I want to be clear. I am not here to debate for or against the scientific or psychological validity of any personality model. For me, many of them have brought tremendous value. I have applied them in my own activities and relationships I am also a professional speaker and trainer, and I've been facilitating personality styles in different forms and formats for about 12 years. And what I always say to people, and I will say here to you, is that the primary value in these models is they put you into a mode where you are analyzing your own behavior instead of just operating on autopilot. So get us off this autopilot. It's going to get us both killed and where you truly start to try to understand other people. Because currently, what most of us do, most of the time, is we filter other people's behavior through our personality. Let me say that again. We filter other people's behavior through our personality. So someone else says something or does something, and you react to it based on what it would mean if you said it or you did it. But they are not you. So for example, if you are someone who believes in a soft feedback approach with people, and someone else is very direct with you, 
you might think of them as being rude or insensitive, and you might assume that they don't like you, when really, it's not about you at all. That's just how they communicate. They might think they are being caring and considerate to you by being so direct and honest. In turn, often when we look to support other people, we don't listen to what they are telling us, directly or indirectly, that they need. Instead, we provide them with support that aligns with our personality, but not theirs. Well, I think that we recognize that people are different from us, but we're, we just don't know like what elements to pick out. So one of the things about upholders and questioners is they can meet inner expectations easily. And as a result, they often aren't that interested in helping people develop systems of accountability. Sometimes they are, but sometimes they don't, they're like, you don't need it, right? They're like, just be accountable to yourself because that's not hard if you're an upholder or a questioner, <laughs> right? Because you readily meet inner expectations. And often, in fact, it's, it's work to create accountability for somebody often, but also it feels like a burden that you're placing on them and you want them to just be able to do what they want. And so for often, like somebody said to me, I'm an obliger and I have an upholder boss. And that's not a good pairing because she'll say things to me like, well, whenever you have a little bit of downtime, will you do X, Y, Z? Well, that doesn't feel like accountability to an obliger that allows them to succeed. Or I was talking to, I gave a talk and a woman came up to me afterwards and she said, oh, I had this big realization about my child. He kept saying to me, mom, I need to take a class to study for the GRE, you know, which is the big graduate um, uh, entrance exam. And I kept saying, no, honey, if it's important to you to do well on the GRE, you could just buy a book at the bookstore and study on your own. But now I realize he's an obliger. He probably needs the class. And I'm like, mm. yes. If somebody is saying, like, this is what I need to succeed, don't say to them, oh, don't be silly. You don't need that to succeed. Right. It's like if somebody's like, oh, I really need you to give me a deadline. And you're like, oh, you don't need a deadline. It's like if somebody tells you they need a deadline, they need a deadline. Or if somebody says to you, I can't do anything with you breathing down my neck. Just let me do this in my own way in my own time. Back off. You know, you might think like, oh, I'm just being helpful if I'm giving somebody reminders. Maybe not. Hmm. So you really do have to think about why are you different from me? You know, like maybe in a lot of ways, maybe in many, many ways we're exactly alike. But in this, we could be different from each other. It seems important to point out that the Four Tendencies Framework, as with all personality frameworks, is meant to help us understand ourselves and others more deeply. It is not about labeling us or limiting our sense of identity or potential. As Gretchen writes in her book, some people say, when you define yourself, you confine yourself. I think systems of self-definition are very helpful because they serve as a starting point for self-knowledge. She goes on to suggest that with this self-knowledge, we can build a happy life in a way that specifically works for each of us through utilizing our own nature, our own interests, and our own values. If you don't have exactly the life you want, and I venture to say that no one has exactly the life they want, you want, why don't you have the life you want? Like, what's getting in your way? And one of the things that struck me in writing The Happiness Project and Happier at Home, and one of the reasons that I wrote the book better than before, was, you know, often people know perfectly well what they need to do. It's not like it's a big mystery to them. They know that they, if they got more sleep and they quit sugar and they, got, and they read more and they spent more time with their friends... And they practice meditation and they practice the cello again and they, you know, that they'd be happier. You know, <laughs> so it's not that they're, it's not like they're mystified as to like what they would do, but they're not executing on it. Like, you know, they're not following through. And so what the four tendencies is like, well, why might you not be following through? Um, what could you do that would make it more likely that you would be able to do the things that would make you happier? Um, if there's something that seems to be getting in your way. 
Right. Which is usually you, <laughs> but not always. Right. right not right. always, but it's often you yourself. One of the things I find so powerful and valuable about always exploring and being open to what I can learn is that there is always so much for us to still learn or get. As I mentioned, I've, I've been doing this a long time. And yet I was struck once again when I read The Four Tendencies. A lot of my focus over the years has been around how to better understand other people. You know, realizing that I can't change other people. So if I want to better connect, influence, or communicate with them, I, I need to understand them and adapt my approach to them. But somehow in all of this, I, I feel like I haven't shined enough light on how valuable it is to understand myself. I've often thought about these frameworks as an empathy tool. And as I was reading Gretchen's book, I wrote down, it's not about changing ourselves. It's about knowing ourselves. And I think about how often I still, as much as I understand these concepts, I still find myself consciously trying to change myself. Oh, I should be more disciplined. I should be better with to-do lists. I shouldn't need a deadline to get things done. And so Gretchen's book was like another two by four to the head because I just thought, wow, like how often are we trying to change ourselves because we think that's the road to success? when perhaps the road to success is really about knowing ourselves. To me, that is really profound and super important. And I'm glad you saw that in the book because it was a theme that I really wanted to bring out, which was so often I want to say to people, like, there's nothing wrong with you. You know, there, people have so much like self-criticism or self-accusation. As you say, I should be able to do this. Why can't I do this? Everybody else can do this. Why can't I? Um, this person can do this easily. My, you know, this comes easily for my spouse. So why can't I do it? I'm lazy. I don't have any willpower. And I'm like, no, that's not what's going on. It's just that the situation has been set up in a way that doesn't work for you. And by the way, there are a lot of people exactly like you who experience exactly the same kind of strengths and limitations. And there's all kinds of hacks and works workarounds. And there's many people who can commiserate with you and trade tri tips with you that will work specifically for you because these are things that might not work for other people, but they would work for you. Gretchen's belief is that most people, barring some sort of massive life impacting experience, don't fundamentally change in their nature. So my view is always like, why don't you do the, the, just do the simple, easy thing and fix your circumstances so you get to the same result? I wouldn't bother like working on your inner nature because like that's too hard. So work on your outer circumstances because there, there's tons of like low-hanging fruit, things you can do that aren't going to take even a lot of time, energy, or money that are going to get you where you want to go. To me, it's just like one way is like extremely difficult if even possible and the other one is just like there's a million like very flat even pathways for that as we mentioned earlier the four tendencies framework isn't meant to put us in a box or be a label that determines everything about us but rather as gretchen writes a spotlight that can illuminate hidden aspects of our nature and that quote when we understand ourselves and how our tendency shapes our perspective on the world we can adapt our circumstances to suit our own nature. And when we understand how other people's tendencies shape their perspectives, we can engage with them 
more effectively, unquote. We humans, <laughs> we like to think that you know, we are so complicated. We like to say things like, oh, you'd never understand me. But when you get down to human psychology, we're actually pretty simple. We are not complicated, but we are slick. We are slippery, and so we have to keep an eye on ourselves. I am still often surprised at how easily we can understand other people when we just start paying attention. The question is, are we doing the same with ourselves? If growth matters to you, it's important that you spend time understanding aspects of yourself and how you operate, whether it's through Gretchen's Four Tendencies or anything else. Mastery will come through practice, through experience. The goal is to spend less time reacting to others as if they are you, and more time trying to understand who you are. And we are in a world right now where everyone seems to have something to say, some sort of judgment about everything that everyone else does. A lot of people are focusing their minds and energy on people outside of themselves. But maybe, just maybe, it would serve us to start trying to understand ourselves first. Because don't you think you need to understand yourself first to really understand anyone else? So maybe we need a new rule. The new rule says, understand yourself so you can best understand others, so you can be happy, do really cool and great things in the world, and treat other people the way they want to be treated. Actually, how about we call that the adamantium rule? I mean, it's a bit wordy, but there's no denying its strength. I want to send out a big thanks to Gretchen Rubin for taking the time to talk with us. I encourage you to dig into the four tendencies and use them as a way to start practicing this understanding of self and others. You can grab the book, The Four Tendencies. It is available now as well. If you go to GretchenRubin.com, you can take The Four Tendencies test for free. So go check that out, read the book, and follow Gretchen on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. She is Gretchen Rubin on all three. That is G-R-E-T-C-H-E-N-R-U-B-I-N. Thanks again, Gretchen. Welcome to WTS Digs. Of course, this is the part of the show where we share with you the things that we love, the things that we like, the things that we super love, the things that we super like. Can you tell there's no script for this segment? Uh, so we do this every week. And uh, this week we have, we have a guest. Who do we have, Brett? Uh, we have Dylan Davis. 
part of the WTS team located in London, England, where apparently there's no good internet by everything I've seen from all of our calls. I don't know, Dylan, is that true? It's uh, 99% my fault. Now, oh, wait. Oh, oh, it is. oh, we're not blaming. We're not blaming England. We're blaming Dylan. Okay. Do you think that more than half of the audience was upset that Dylan did not have a British accent just now? Probably. Probably. Dylan. I'm upset that I don't have a British accent right now. <laughs> you could have one right now if you wanted. So I, I actually met Dylan in St. Louis in your backyard, Nick, doing some work with MasterCard. And now he lives in London and now he's part of the WTS team. So, For the record... MasterCard is not located in my backyard. Literally. That would be strange. Literally. They are located in your backyard. Um, Anyway, so let's get started. Uh, Brett, what are you digging this week? All right. So I am digging uh, an album. But I think more than I'm digging an album, I'm kind of digging an artist and uh, and what she does. Because if I'm fair, I love this album for what, for, for, because it being what it is. Mm. But I like it for its music. I, I, I think I'm more interested in in kind of what it's trying to do. So this might be a little shocking to some people, but I'm digging Miley Cyrus's new record, mm. Younger Now. Um, You're not going to get any uh, pushback from me on Miley Cyrus. No, no. And and more than anything, I think, I, I just, I'm, I dig, I'm digging what Miley Cyrus is doing because I feel like what Miley Cyrus is doing is she's kind of on this who am I journey. She kind of reacts to things. She's constantly changing who she is. But I think she's authentic. I don't think she's faking it. I, but I think she's still finding her true musical voice. Like I think she is going to make a really, really, really great album one day, and she hasn't quite found that. And keep in mind, I think this is her sixth record, maybe seventh, if you include the online-only one she did with Flaming Lips. Yep. She's 25 years old. So it's been kind of funny for me, Nick, to like read the reviews of this record and people are like kind of pulling her apart. Some people recognize that they're pulling her apart and talking about how, you know, there's not enough depth here. There's not enough this there. or She's not, you know, I, I love what this record is trying to do. She, she's kind of just getting back to her country roots. She's got Dolly Parton on the record, which is fantastic. Um, and I just really, really enjoyed it. I've listened to it probably four or five times and I've enjoyed it every time. I would not stand here and say, man, this is a great album. But it's a good album, and I really enjoy listening to it. So I am digging Miley Cyrus is younger now. And more than that, I'm just digging Miley Cyrus because I appreciate that she's as much a performance artist as a musician. She's on a journey, and she's kind of just exposing us along the way. And I think it's cool. That's great. Now to our guest. Our guest, Dylan. What are you digging? What am I digging? So uh, on Saturday, I tend to walk to the grocery store because in London, no one likes to drive cars. And when I walk to the grocery store, I usually purchase groceries for the week and then I cook for the week. So that's probably about a three to four hour stint of time that I that I spend walking and not really having any opportunity to do anything with my hands or my eyes when I want to read or consume something. So I started uh, I started listening to audiobooks. And a recent audiobook that I really dug, and I listened to all the way through on Saturday, was... Uh, can we curse on this show, Brett and Nick? Yes. We'll beep it out, but you can, yes. Perfect. So it's The Subtle Art of Not Giving a F***. And... Wait, is that by friend of the podcast, Mark Manson? 
Possibly. Friend of the so, uh, so, so the reason I'm digging the, the, that book is that basically the premise of the book is it's, it's, it's not the fact that you shouldn't care, but it's the fact that you should care about the right things. And the way that Mark Manson actually constructs the narrative of the story, it's, it's, it's humorous, but it's also candid and honest. And it actually touches on a lot of things that people will maybe understand or aren't willing to confront them themselves. So I, I think it's a really good it's a really good book. It gave me some insights on the things that that truly seem that they they seem that they matter in life. But if you really think about it, sit back and contemplate and reflect, you realize that they're really not that important. Awesome. So everybody out there, check out uh, the subtle art of not giving a heck. <laughs> wow, Dylan self censoring himself on the WTS podcast. Uh, so I, I think that's awesome. I love Mark Manson. Obviously, we've had him on the show. We think he's great. Um, I, I also think that right now, you know, in this outrage culture we live in, I think, you know, that, that kind of idea of, you know, what are you choosing to give an F about and what are you not is, is, is pretty important. So I, uh, I think it's awesome dig. Uh, so lastly, we've got Nick, who apparently is going to literally send me a link. Yes. As we're as he's digging something yes. for me to look at. So I'm gonna send you this link and then it should start at second twenty six twenty five. And if it doesn't, you can just skip to it. But while you're doing that, I'm gonna do a quick super like side. Are dig. you texting this to me? I'm just going through Skype. Okay, all right, I'll go. So, there it is. so it's it's off there. While he's doing that, uh, I l- watched that mini series on Netflix called American Vandal, which is a mockumentary about um, <laughs> uh, about an event a vandalism event that happens at a high school and the premise is very high school but the execution is amazing so i really 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 enjoyed that so that's my little side dig while brett is watching this now i have sent brett a link to something called cuphead on youtube it's a trailer for a video game called cuphead now how, how, how does it look to you brett uh it looks super cool yeah so i love it cuphead is a video game that and I need you for to verify this is true. Cuphead is a new video game for Xbox One and for PC that looks just like a cartoon from the 1930s. Like, it looks just like it. And I played it over the week. I just need you to verify that point. I don't think people will quite understand. Oh, yeah, yeah. It looks like Betty Boop. Yeah, it looks like Max Fleischer in 1930s is a beautiful game. There are parts in the game where I was playing where I was, like, moved by how these are hand-drawn video games. Cell by cell, scanned in, animated. It is a difficult game. I don't know there's a lot of gamers in our audience, but I was just struck by just the sheer immensity of this project. If nothing else, you should just go look at Cuphead because it looks beautiful and, and it's something I've never seen before in a video game. So I don't know if there's any gamers out there, but if, there, if it's, you're there, make it happen. So surprisingly, Nick, I would have not... I would have looked at this and gone, what the hell is this? Except that I, someone commented on this on Facebook, and I believe it was Eric Sagan, who is a listener of the show, mm-hmm. who we're now become Facebook friends. And he said, you kind of alluded to it. He basically said everything you just said, man, this game looks beautiful. It's crafted. It's amazing. Unfortunately, the difficulty makes it hard to enjoy. Well, yeah, you're. it's so hard <laughs> that yeah. I looked forward to when I died and my friend was still playing so I could just look at it. It is, right, right. It is breathtaking. So Cuphead... Also, if you're looking for a Netflix show, because apparently that's what I do, American Vandal, and that's it. (laughs) All right. So as always, uh, we want to hear what you're digging. 
because we want to go check it out, you know? So whatever it is, music, book, uh, website, idea, food, we want to hear about it. So either tweet at us or Facebook us or email us, connect at wherethesmoke.co, but let us know what you're digging. And if you go onto our website and you actually leave a voicemail about what you're digging, there's a very good chance that we'll have you on the show. You could be on Where There's Smoke. For some people, that might be exciting. It's exciting for me. It's exciting for me. that's it, I think. Yeah, there you go. Exciting for you, Dylan? I'm a little excited about that, yeah. Yeah, a little excited. There you go. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks. Welcome to the credits. First off, if you love the show and you want to help us make it happen, please go to support WTS to see how you can support us. Now, the part we all love, shout outs for the Twitter love. Thank you, Morgan LeBlanc, Carlos Pacheco, Jessica Broughton, Billy Poggy, Victor Lai, Kevin Tumlison, at SapphireJ24, at Bidget, Erica Robin, Tara Hunt, Ty Harmon, Daphne, Victor Kuna, Becky Costafas, Worthy Glover, Happy T-Rex, Matthew Schuller, Casa Orvas, and Eddie Wood. On Facebook, we got love and bumps from Amy Shamanoff, Tracy Grassmeyer, Robin Tala, Brad Axelrod, Heather Parody, and Story Muse. Big love to Aisha Woodward, founder of the Yola Palooza event in Toronto, for promoting us multiple times on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and inviting me to speak at the event this past weekend. Lastly, here, do you have friends who have always wanted to write a book or run a marathon? Tell them to listen to the Where There's Smoke podcast. In a recent review on Apple Podcasts, Pasta Pants said, I have never been able to listen to one of these episodes and not feel like I want to write a book or run a marathon afterwards. Well, there you go. Speaking of reviews, Marvin from Germany not only gave us a review on Apple Podcasts and multiple bumps on Twitter, Twitter, he ended up being our Explorer of the Week. Please, 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 please share the show if you believe in it. It makes such a huge difference. Review it on Apple Podcasts, tweet about it, post on Facebook, Snapchat, Instagram, Tumblr, Reddit, Friendster, MySpace, AOL, Chatroom, man, we will take help wherever you want to give it. Please just share the show, and as a little bonus, you may get a shout-out here next week. Where There's Smoke is treated, loved, expected, responded to, upheld, questioned, obliged, rebelled, baked, understood, surgically grafted, written, and produced by me, Brett Gaida, and Nick Jaworski, along with our kick-ass team of Dylan Davis, Damian McGee, Kristen McMullen, and Teresa Ward. If you have a podcast or want to make one and you want it to sound awesome, look up Nick at podcastmonster.com. And if you're interested in having me come out and speak or work with your organization, go to brettgeiter.com and reach out to me for a conversation. Our podcast cover was designed by Steve Goff with the season four remix by Ricky Rowe at Alchemist Creative. The WTS theme song was written and recorded by Des McKinney and remixed by Nick Jaworski. Speaking of music, Nick, what other artists were featured in this show? This week we had music from Lee Rosevere, The Insider, Blue Dot Sessions, Poddington Bear, Ketza, Scott Gratton, Christina Aguilera, Lil' Kim, Maya Pink, John Philip Sousa, and of course, Kevin McLeod. All right, so with that, we encourage you to go out there and live the adamantium rule. And if you want to give yourself a cool new superhero name in the process, well, so be it. Let's do this. I almost forgot. I want new ones. You want him to say? Wolverine. Thanks for listening. We love you. We'll see you next time.